As I said, it's good to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks. My family was on vacation after Christmas, and then we uh, had the wonderful housemate of COVID that many of you have experienced. Uh, and then we had the snow for a week. And so we've been kind of stuck in our house for a little while, but it is good uh, to be with you this morning. It's good to see all of your faces. It's good to know that you're joining us here online. Um, welcome, and, and we're glad that you're here. This morning, we are going to continue in our series, Love Redeemed. And Ed had a chance to, Pastor Ed introduced that series last week online. I, none of us were here last week on Sunday. Uh, it's been a week, hasn't it, <laughs> with the snow. Um, but Pastor Ed introduced that, that sermon series, Love Redeemed. And as we were thinking through what is it that God has to say to our community over these next several weeks, when we were doing our sermon planning uh, a couple of uh, months ago, we, talk, we thought about love and we thought about what is it that we think about when we think about love? What is it that we hear about love on the news and, and in the media and in movies and, and, and other places? What is it that comes to mind? And as we were kind of pondering that and realizing, yes, we're headed into February where we're going to celebrate Valentine's Day, I, surely there must be more to love than, than candy hearts and chocolate and flowers, Right? And so we were going to preach about that on Valentine's Day, but then we thought, wait a minute, we, we actually, there's a whole lot that we can say about God's love for us. And so we wanted to take these next several weeks to talk about what it means to be loved by God. And what does God's love mean for you and for me and for the world? And so that's the, the title and the theme of our series is Redeemed, Love Redeemed. This morning, uh, I'm going to focus on the fact that there is, we are nothing without love. Nothing without love. Julian of Norwich is a favorite contemplative of mine. She was a contemplative and, and a mystic. She lived uh, in, the, in the mid-1300s until the early 1400s. When she was 30 years old, she became deathly ill, and she didn't think that she was going to survive. And she was sick for a week, and on the seventh day, when all hope seemed to be lost, all of a sudden, she was miraculously healed. And she was completely fine, and in the course of that healing, she experienced something rather mystical. She experienced a time with Jesus in which, which she describes as showings or visions with Jesus, where she was with Jesus and, and saw Jesus walk through the passion, that he, the, his, his path to the cross, to to the cross and to death and to the grave and to redemption on our behalf. Julian had these, these visions, these showings that Jesus showed her what he was doing during that time. And it was this mystical, unbelievable experience of God's love and revelation of who God is through Christ. And as she was reflecting on that, Julian of Norwich said this. She said, from the time these things were first revealed, I had often wanted to know what was our Lord's meaning. Why did, why did this happen? It was more than 15 years after that that I was answered in my spirit's understanding. She says to herself, you would know our Lord's meaning in this thing? Well, know it well. Love was his meaning. Who showed it to you? Love. What did he show you? Love. Why did he show it? For love. Hold on to this and you will know and understand love more and more. 
Friends, that is our hope for this sermon series, that as a result of looking through Scripture and talking about and praying over God's love, that you would know and understand God's love more and more. And so this morning, we're going to be in a familiar passage about love in Scripture from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're actually going to spend the next three weeks in this passage, so we're going to take it nice and slow and talk through what it means to understand God's love for us in Christ. And so this morning, we'll hear just the first three verses. Hear this word. This is from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I, have, if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, it's hard not to go on to verse four, isn't it? Love is patient. No, that's next week. It's next week. We'll get there. I want to talk a little bit about the context in which Paul wrote this letter. So Paul founded the church in Corinth. Corinth was a big city in Paul's time. It was an urban city. It was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was a city that was on the edge of a peninsula and it connected. So it was connected to water, obviously, on the Mediterranean Sea. It also served as a connection point for trade between the east and the west. And so Italy was accessible to Asia through the city of Corinth. And that was a big deal for trade and for commerce and for life. And so uh, Corinth was, uh, was, uh, was a very important city. And Paul founded the church in Corinth uh, around 50 or so AD is when he started. And it's believed that he wrote this letter around 54 or 55 AD. So a few years after he had been there and started the church. And interestingly enough, in the timeline, that means that this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church is one of the first writings of the New Testament. All of Paul's letters are some of the first writings that we have written down even before most of the, uh, all of the Gospels were written down. So this letter we have, uh, some of the first writings we have, um, I think Galatians was actually earlier, but, or Thessalonians rather, but anyhow, uh, 50 years after, uh, 50 years AD is when, about when, 55 AD is about when he wrote this letter. And he was writing to a church that was fairly new. I mean, all Christian churches, I guess, at that time were fairly new, Right? But he was writing to that church, this church that he loved, this church that he had started, this church that he had planted, um, because some things were going on in the church. Now, we don't know exactly everything that was happening because we're we're reading this letter and it's kind of like looking at somebody's mail, but you, you don't get the whole story, right? We're coming in kind of in the middle of the story. We don't have the letter that the Corinthian church sent to Paul to know exactly what was happening. But we have Paul's letter that he sent to the church, and from that letter, we can kind of infer some of the things that were going on. And, and, and they wrote a letter to Paul asking about several problems in their midst that they were trying to resolve and needed some wisdom on. 
They were, they were, he was talking, they were talking about improper relationships. They're talking about marriage and what does that look like and divorce and, and order and worship in the church and questions about the Lord's Supper and how do we worship together, uh, social status, eating meat uh, that, that was, uh, had been sacrificed to idols. Is this okay or is it not okay? Uh, and then a big part of what the Corinthian church was asking Paul about, and he spends all of chapter 12 talking about it, is spiritual gifts. And so the spiritual gifts were a big deal to the church in Corinth. They're a big deal to the body of Christ, right? Without them, we aren't who we are. We aren't the church without the gifts that each of us bring to further advance God's kingdom. And so the Corinthian church was asking about spiritual gifts, and, and they had a couple that they sort of put on a pedestal above others. And one of them was speaking in tongues. And so this was kind of one of the ideas among the Corinthians was that if you had the gift of speaking in tongues, boy, that is something you should strive to attain the ability to speak in tongues. The other one was prophecy. And so if you could, if you could prophesy, and prophesy in this context really means proclaiming the word of God. Okay, it's not so much telling the future or something like that. It's more telling God's truth. And so if you had the gift of, of speaking in tongues or of prophesying, boy, you were something. And that created a problem in the Corinthian church because it set some people kind of above other people in terms of sort of status and, and importance and, and what the church was striving for. And so Paul addresses this in his letter. He spends all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. And, and rather than chastising those, those folks uh, who, were, who were thinking they were better than others, he spends the whole chapter saying, hey, listen, all gifts are exactly that. They are gifts from God. All spiritual gifts come from God's spirit. They are meant for the building up of the church and for unity. They're not meant to, to, to sort of lord over one another and say, well, I can speak in tongues. Oh yeah, well, I can prophesy. No, no, that's not what they're for, right? They are for building up the church in unity. And Paul spends the entire chapter 12 talking about that. He spends a lot of chapter 14, the chapter after this one, talking about prophecy, prophecy and what that gift is meant for. But right in between that, we have chapter 13 that we read this morning. And I love how Paul sets that up. This is the end of, I'm just going to read the last couple of verses of 12 on into 13. Paul says that, uh, that God has placed the church, uh, in the church first, all, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, different kinds of tongues. And then he says this, he says, are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And of course, rhetorically, the answer is no. And he says this, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then right before the verse that we started with today, he says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So there's all of these gifts that God gives the church and they're meant for building up the church and, and, and they're all equal and they're all important and they're all valued and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And he gets into the scripture that I just read and he talks about, it's interesting if, when you look at it, he talks about in verse one, if you speak in tongues of men and angels, but if you do it without love, you're a noisy gong or a clashing symbol. 
Robbie, I was going to have you sit back there and pound on the cymbals while I preach just to get an idea of what that was like, but I will we'll save that for another time. If you speak well, but you don't do it with love, you're just noise. Verse 2, he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, knowledge and faith, but if you have those things without love, you are nothing. And isn't that interesting? The first two things he says, if you speak in tongues, this gift that the Corinthians thought was really important, right? If you speak in tongues without love, you're nothing. If you have the gift of prophecy, this other sort of lofty gift in the eyes of the Corinthians. Now, if you have that gift of prophecy and of knowledge, that was another thing. This Greek idea of knowledge was, was a big deal. If you, if you had special knowledge, you were important. You had been revealed. God had revealed something to you. You were important. If you had this knowledge, Paul says, if you have it without love, it's nothing. If you have faith that can move mountains, but you have it without love, you're nothing. Verse three, if I give all of my possessions to the poor, even if you sacrifice your body like a martyr so that you can brag, you gain nothing if you do it without love. And so Paul's really clever. He has to be sort of pastoral to this church, right? He has to be a shepherd, a guiding force of, of, of wisdom and, and love and unity, trying to urge this fledgling congregation along and so he, he spends an entire chapter talking about all of the different gifts. But then he does actually kind of get at the point, right? Those of you who think that, that speaking in tongues is a big deal, let me tell you, if you do it without love, it's nothing. And if you think prophecy is a big deal, but you do it without love, it's nothing. And even if you think you can serve with the best of them, give away everything you have, even your life, but you do it without love, it's nothing. So what are we talking about when we talk about love? My son James is, is four years old, and he is really into dinosaurs right now, uh, like a lot of four-year-olds. And a couple of weeks ago, he said to me, Dad, I just love, love, love dinos. I was like, that's awesome, buddy. Other times, my son has said to me, Dad, I love you. Now, those are two very, I'm sure that he doesn't mean the same thing by both of those kinds of love, right? And I certainly don't hear it the same way. When he says, I love dinos, I'm like, oh, that's awesome, buddy. When he says, Dad, I love you. Oh, just melts my heart, right? When we hear the, these words from 1 Corinthians 13, we're used to hearing them oftentimes. Where, where, where is this read quite often? Where do we hear love is patient, love is kind? At, at weddings, right? Yeah, of course. Some of you may have had that read in your wedding. I had a bride once who was like, do not read first. I don't care what you read from the Bible. Don't read that chapter because I've heard that enough. I'm like, okay, God be with you. Um, I won't read it, but I hope you live it because <laughs> otherwise your marriage is in trouble. <laughs> but when we hear that, when we hear that passage, right, love is patient, love is kind, we'll read that next week, uh, we think of weddings and, and we have this idea of, oh, this, this sort of sentimental kind of, oh, isn't that wonderful? And, uh, weddings feel good, don't they? They're great. And, and we think of these sort of hallmark moments of, of understanding what love means. Um, and, and, and 
And that's fine, but, but that kind of love, that kind of romantic love, uh, the Greeks have a word for that, and that's eros, right? Uh, erotic love. It's, it's love that's a love of attraction. It's, it's, a, it's a love of, of desire, and, and that's a love that uh, is, is that actually, that word eros is never actually used in Scripture, right? <laughs> so we have this, this idea in our Christian culture, in our, in our, in our broader culture of, of oh, this, this just wonder, beautiful, it makes me feel really good love, uh, and that, that word is actually never even used in Scripture. The word that's used here in Scripture is agape, Agape, that's the one that's used most often throughout all, all the rest of the New Testament, actually. Agape is unconditional love. It's not sentimental. It's no matter what. It's, it's beyond the circumstances that you're experiencing. It's, it's the greatest kind of love. It's, it's loving someone without any expectation in return. It's more of a choice than a feeling. Like Pastor Ed preached about last week, God is agape. God is that kind of love. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, what Paul has in mind when he's talking about love, which, which like our other loves in some ways, this love goes far beyond them as the sunlight goes beyond candles. That's how different these kinds of love are when we're talking about God's agape love for you and for me and for the world. And again, we'll hear more about the character of that love next week. But Paul says, if you speak in tongues without love, you're a noisy, clanging symbol. If you have the gift of prophecy without love, you're nothing. If you give all your possessions to the poor, even sacrifice yourself, you're nothing. And Eugene Peterson says it like this at the end of verse three in the message. He says, so, he has Paul saying, so no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Paul says, no matter what we say, believe, or do, we are nothing without love. So again, remember the context. Paul is writing to a church in turmoil. He's writing to a church that is navigating cultural differences and and understandings of of life and, and religion and God and how to live that out, about relationships and and power dynamics, differences in understanding how to live together when people disagree about things. It's a a church that's trying to figure out its identity and how it's going to be and, and function and witness in the world. Well, that doesn't sound very different from our church today, does it? And by church, I mean the big C church, all of Christendom. Especially uh, thinking about what we've, what we've just come out of in the, in the pandemic uh, and, and just looking at, at church trends in, in general. Um, just another denomination, the, the Reformed Church last week or a couple weeks ago split over human sexuality, arguments about that. Participation and giving in, in church services are, are generally down all across the country. We're, we're so politically entrenched in ways that we never have been before thanks to social media and, and other things. And again, we're coming through, we're sort of in this almost, I want to say we're in post-pandemic, but we're not there yet, are we? Because we're all still wearing masks. <laughs> we're not there yet. We're not at post-pandemic, but we are, we have been through something together that has caused us to ask, hey, what is the church about? 
And do I, is it something that I need to continue investing in? Is it somewhere I'm going to spend my time and, and energy as we've reflected over these last two years uh, and had opportunity to do that in ways we've never had before? What is the church? And I think some of, the, some of the blessings that have come from technology have also allowed us, if we want to be, to be a little more consumeristic about church. Ah, you know what, I'm just going to stay home today and I'll watch it if I have time. Or maybe I'll watch it later in the week. Right? We, we have different understandings of what church is and, and can be as a result of having lived through and still being in the midst of a pandemic. And, and I think if we're really honest, I think that we have looking at how Christians have treated one another over the last decade or, or even shorter than that. And the responses that we have to one another and the ways that we speak to one another, particularly on social media, I wonder if we have maybe an incomplete understanding of what it means to be church. What, what it means to actually love one another as Christ calls us to and as Christ loved us. I think it's a discipleship issue that we're facing as a church. I think we just haven't done a good enough job of deepening our discipleship, of being, like our mission and vision says, of, of becoming transformed disciples who live for the transformation of hearts and the church and the community and the world. And see, what Paul is telling us is if you're experiencing some of that discord and some of that frustration and some of that uncertainty about who we are as a church and, and what status means and what, what it means to serve and give and, and love, if you start with love, you're in a much better place to resolve all of the rest of that stuff. And if you don't start with love, you don't have a chance. You're nothing. So I'm excited about the, the, the challenges that we're facing as a church. And I'm excited about my new role responsibilities, and you'll hear more about that. But I'm going to be, uh, I'm transitioning into the pastor of discipleship and spiritual formation. And so I'll have an opportunity to have us think more about these things together. And you'll see a, a video that, uh, that I did later, um, probably next week, uh, that talks a little bit more about that role. But I'm excited about this challenge because I think it's an opportunity for the church to be the church in a way that we maybe haven't been or in a way that we've forgotten to be over these last several years. And again, I think... We need to start where Paul does. Paul's answer to becoming transformed disciples starts with love. It doesn't matter how you talk or what you say. If you're not loving, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter how you preach or how you teach or how you proclaim God's word. It doesn't make a difference. If it, if it, it doesn't matter what gifts you have because if you don't start with love, there is a still more excellent way. It doesn't matter how we enact and embody worship. It doesn't matter what style of music or what time we start the service or whether we serve coffee or whether we're in person or whether we're wearing masks. Or, none of that stuff matters if we're not doing what we do grounded in love. Unconditional, relentless, giving, selfless love that Christ modeled for us. 
And here's the thing, there's, there's a posture about doing something in love, right? There's, there's an energy that, that comes with doing something in love. And there's something that's missing if you don't have that. And we can all see it. We all know right away, right? My wife, I love my wife, and uh, she loves Starbucks tea every day, every single day of the year. And I... As her husband, I know that she loves that tea. And, and so oftentimes I go and I, and I buy that. I go out and I, and I buy the tea because it, it has to come from Starbucks. It can't come from home. It's not the same if it comes from home, right? Some of you are not. You're like, yeah, that's right. Now, if I go and I, and I get that tea and I, and I bring it home and I give it to her and I say, here's your silly tea. How do you think that is going to be received? <laughs> not, not too well, right? And sadly, I confess, a lot of times, that's exactly how I deliver. I'm like, here, here you go. <laughs> so I have some work to do there. But what, how much different would it be if I said, you know what? And this is something that I'm working on. See, sometimes pastors get to confess things, and you all work through it with me. Like, this, I, no, this is not supposed to be therapy. But um, that's what it feels like right now. How much better would it be if I came to my wife and said, hey, you know what, honey, I know that you love tea and I know that this brings you joy and so it is my joy to give you this tea this morning. I hope you have a great day. Now, if I say that in any way that sounds like condescending or whatever, like I'm gonna be called on it, right? We know, we know when we're not being truthful or we know, I, we have a saying for that down south, right? Bless your heart. We all know that means a thousand different things depending on the intonation that we say it with, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an energy, there's, a, there's an aura behind the way that we speak and the way that we communicate. And when we do it with love, it's obvious. And when we do it without love, it's obvious too. I think that's important for us to remember this morning that as we encounter challenges as the body of Christ, as we encounter brothers and sisters sitting next to each other in church and in the community that we disagree with and we know because we see what they post on Facebook or whatever, right? We, we need to approach them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to approach them with a posture of openness and love, even if we know that we disagree. And maybe especially then, we need to approach with a posture of love like Paul asks us to do. Love that is a choice and not a feeling. Love that requires something more of us, that requires us to give of ourselves and set down our agendas and our desires for how we want things done, but instead puts the other person's needs first and sees the other person with inherent dignity and worth simply because they are a child of God, just like you and me. I think sometimes it's easy to think as Christians, and we've been trained, right? We've heard the, 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 the exhortation to, to speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters, right? Oh, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? 
I think the thing that's hard about it is that there's a fine line between speaking the truth in love and judgment. And, and that's one of the things that comes through in how we communicate, right? Judgment is something that has already made its mind up about how this encounter is going to go, about how this interaction is going to go, about how this, 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 this life together is going to go. Judgment has already decided. Judgment has left no room for possibility or growth or wonder or mystery. And yet love encompasses all of those things. Love is about creating new possibilities. Richard Rohr talks about this when he talks about forgiveness. And he says, you know, forgiveness, and this is from his book, Universal Christ, uh, chapter 5, uh, which was a fantastic chapter about love. He talks about forgiveness as being the end <laughs> of, of growth if you don't forgive someone. And that's a whole other sermon, but, but, but the point is love is always open to more. If I am constantly upset with somebody and I'm not willing to address what made me upset, I'm going to continue to wallow in that upsetness, right? But if I can somehow manage to muster a posture of openness and love toward that person, that creates new possibilities for relationship. But if I stay in my hard-heartedness and in my bitterness and in my anger, even if it's justified, that closes off the possibility for growth and for love to do something new. Love expands indefinitely. Isn't that crazy? You know this, right? If you, have, uh, if you have children or friends or pets, you know this. If you get another dog and you really love your dog and you get another dog, do you love the first one less? No, right? You love them more. If you have a child and then you have another child, your love for the first child doesn't become less. It, it, it continues, right? And your ability to love expands. Love is always Expanding, And as you do life with one another, with your, with your friends, as, as, you, as you experience things together, your love for them always expands and grows. It expands indefinitely, and love never ends. It outlasts even death. What an amazing thing. And so friends, Paul is reminding us this morning that that is to be our posture in a world of turmoil, in a world of chaos, in a world of dissension and fighting and hurt and injustice and difficulty. We as God's children, as God's beloved, are to be love for the world, just as Christ is for us. God's spirit lives in us, and so with that, love lives within us. And with that, there is infinite possibility for expansion and growth and more and more and more capacity for love. It's the kind of growth and capacity that Jesus demonstrated on the cross 
for you and for me and for all of the world. That is the love that we are called to. That is the love that we are invited to embody and to be with and for one another. And so I want you to think about that kind of love this week. I want to challenge you to just do one thing, small or big, simple or complicated, in the name of love. Do something that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise done this week because you check yourself and say, wait a second, I, <laughs> maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's the person who cuts you off in traffic, I don't know what it's going to be. But God will give you opportunities to love this week. I know that. And you have a choice about how you want to respond. And I want to challenge you this week to respond in agape. Respond with the love that is already there in your heart, just longing for you to tap into and to express and to choose. I invite you to choose love this week. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Loving God, I give you thanks that your love is everlasting. That there's no beginning and there's no end to your love and that because of your love in Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection, that love lives in us as well. God, I give you thanks for the opportunities that you are preparing even right now for us to show that love this week. And God, when those opportunities come, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to follow in the way of love that you demonstrate in Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.